Welcome to this week's edition of Record Roundtable, where we come back and talk about an artist, talk about a band, talk about a, a weird dude. And this week we're talking about Frank Zappa. Mr. America, walk on by the minds that won't be reached. Mr. America, try to hide the emptiness that's you inside. This is Caleb Robinson speaking. I'm here with Jared Robinson. Whoa, he said his last name. Full name. Oh my. The big reveal. This is Tyler here. And once again, this week, we are talking about Frank Zappa. This is the first time you've heard us cover an artist in, oh, good golly. Has it been two months now? I have no idea. Because we didn't cover one in December That's because true. we were doing our bonuses and we didn't cover one in January. So yeah, this is this is the first you've heard us cover an artist in like two months. I'm sure you've been itchy. Oh my. So how did you guys feel about uh we, we we so we've we've known that we were going to cover Zappa for a little bit but as we announced on the uh, bonus episode the December episode uh we took a little bit of a, a hiatus so we've been thinking about Zappa for a hot minute so Tyler I know you've been excited I want to hear what you think about Frank Zappa I like Frank Zappa I've listened to Frank Zappa it's been I don't know it's been a long time um, my mm-hmm. dad was a big Zappa fan and when I was young. He had a stack of records that I would go through and listen to, and of course, some of them were Zappa. So mm-hmm. I don't—I couldn't tell you the first time I listened to it, but it's been a long time ago. That makes sense, Jared. What, what about you? How did you feel? Was this uh, kind of your first foray into Zappa's music? I know anybody who's been doing a music podcast for like two years is going to know who Frank Zappa is, but I guess it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to expose yourself to his music a lot. Correct. I—I uh, I only know. Uh, don't eat the yellow snow. That's all I knew prior to listening to Frank Zappa. Gotcha. Uh, other than because, like, the, he's not very—he's not commercially successful. No. And if like he's not played in the films or, or television programs that often either. Right. So I don't have. It's not like I listen to everything we listen to, and I'm like, oh, I know this song. You know, it's like, yeah, either you know it or you don't. And I did not know the songs, but right. he's interesting. Uh, he. He's weird, as we've discussed. Yes. Uh, but, and it's like a few different careers, you know? So you have like rock, you have jazz, you have comedy, uh, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's it's interesting. And like, not even just the music part too, because obviously he's had a lot of other like kind of side ventures throughout his career as well. So he's just, he's one of those people who's just kept very, very busy throughout the duration of his life. Yes. And, you know, I kind of gathered in a lot of ways that he's also a uh, heavy perfectionist about the way that he views, like, the art that he creates. And so, like, for him to be such a perfectionist and for him to output the level of material that he did over his lifetime, it, it's just very clear that this was, like, always where his mind was. Like, there was really just nowhere else that his mind could be other than trying to create you know, the the odd eccentricities that were inside of his mind. Yeah, I mean, he was dedicated to his music and to the craft of creating the music that he created, and he was heavily dedicated to his fans as well. So he used that as a re- another, like, motivator to continue to do stuff and to be a perfectionist about it is because 
you know, people expect a certain thing out of Zappa and out of the stuff that he makes, and he wants to meet that level of criteria. So, right. So obviously, uh, you know, we didn't just limit ourselves to Frank Zappa exclusive discography, and there's no feasible way to really ever listen to like everything from Z- Frank Zappa in such a short duration of time, regardless of how short that duration of time is, really. Mm. Um, but we did cover, you know, portions of Frank Zappa and we covered portions of the Mothers of Invention. And those obviously are two very different, you know, types of music. And even within their own discographies, you can see differences in his solo work and in the Mothers of Invention, what they were doing. Uh, Mothers of Invention is really where he started. So how did you guys feel about listening to Mothers of Invention specifically? Jared, go first. Um, It is... I don't know. I liked I liked it. I don't really have a lot of I mean it is different like you said. Um and it's more rock based. But I don't uh I don't have anything like that jumps out uh that was something that I liked or didn't like more necessarily. Sure. Tyler. It's got more pop in it as well. So it's a little more accessible. It's still not the most accessible by any means to an extent, but it's a little bit more accessible than some of his solo stuff. Right. So, <clears throat> but I liked it. I like both of them. I like the solo work and I like the mother's work. And sometimes like it, there are some areas where they kind of blend and it's hard to tell the difference between them. Sure. Because some of the mother stuff is a little more avant-garde and a little, and starts to stray into the kind of like alt jazz universe that Zappa lived in more prominently in his solo career. But right. it's not always like sometimes it's more reined in as well. So yeah, I definitely it, it makes okay. sense as a, as like where he as like where he would start in a group and then move forward from there. So. Yeah, and I think that you like because he has like kind of flashes of it early on, like the way that I kind of look at it. Because the first album, Freak Out, is already like you get a lot of what's going on pretty early on and see that like this is not just going to be one thing you know the the first you know major portion of the album uh is this kind of like pop doo-wop hard rock like kind of odd mixture of sounds um and it's like it's kind of done in like almost like a parody way you know it's not him necessarily like it's it's like he knew how to make that kind of music and he knew how to make it sound good even though that might not have been like necessarily right where his mind was all the time. But then like, once you get to the end of the album, it's just like that sound collage, uh, you know, sample types of sounds and, uh, you know, uh, experimentalism that you don't, you wouldn't have heard from anywhere else in the mid sixties. Like it wasn't, that's just not something that was going on. And like, it, obviously it comes from a lot of his diverse influences because especially like, when you're listening to music in such a you know a heavy way in the mid '60s, it's not like you have the same level of like uh, content to go off of like you do now. You know, when you when you're here now, you can understand experimental experimentalism better because of Zappa. But Zappa had to find it from other areas because there hadn't been a Zappa, which meant that there hadn't been all the things that were built off of the kind of sound that Zappa had inspired. So the fact that he had to kind of go with so many different directions, you can see all those directions coming out even early in his music. Yeah. I mean, a good example of that on that on freak out is like, uh, well, even, I mean, there are multiple examples, but it can't happen here is a pretty interesting song because it's Mm -hmm. mostly vocal 
and it's not even really i mean it's kind of acapella but it's it's not totally singing it's just it's almost like chanting you know yeah with a couple of like experimental noises thrown in over top of it right and then obviously the end the return of the son of monster magnet a complete sound collage just a 12 mm-hmm. a 12 minute mess of sounds and one thing that we should get into early and you know obviously it'll develop throughout the conversation to some uh degree is the way that he kind of made his albums blend together over time it wasn't a case that you know he was doing you know these sounds that kind of just like faded away so he's doing like the, the project object type thing where you know there were different snippets of sounds where like if you're listening to the albums as you go like you know Susie cream cheese comes up throughout different albums and like mm-hmm. there's that one one of my favorite ones that you can hear at different points is that weird kind of like pig snort sound that comes up every once in a while like there's just like repeating motives that he like found interesting enough to like you know keep going with throughout the duration of his career in such a strange way but they like they show that like even as he was involved he was evolving musically he still it's like early on he knew he wanted to keep doing what he started with it was just going to change over time yeah i mean one of the things he's known for too is like the satirical elements mm-hmm. with regards to american culture which i think is where Susie cream cheese comes from you know to sticking that in there because it's always some type of a satirical thing based off of you know whatever leave it to beaver television or something like that yeah so that's pretty interesting one thing i want to mention about freak out real quick before we I know we're pretty much out of that album, but uh, there's a track on there called Wowie Zowie, which is a mild influence on the album Wowie Zowie by Pavement, which I think is cool. Oh, that is cool. I did not know that. Yeah. The title for that album for Wowie Zowie is displayed in a thought bubble or word bubble, just like Freak Out is on the cover of the Mother's album. Nice. So that's pretty cool. I think you can see Zappa's influence. And well, obviously we'll get into that, you know, more when we get kind of closer to the end, but you can see his influence in so many different places. So it makes sense that, you know, like if you find any artist who says that they were inspired by Zappa, it's like, it's almost like a, yeah, duh, you know, like, of course you were influenced by Zappa. Like how could he, how could he not have somehow come to your table at some point, you know? Um, But like, if you look through more of the mothers of invention, you know, like we, you know, we started really early with his kind of music, but like, you know, as you keep going, did you guys have a chance to listen to a whole lot of we're only in it for the money? Yeah. I like that was probably my favorite album from what they were doing. Like there's a pretty cool, you know, progression of what they were doing throughout the albums. Like I really liked the follow up to freak out the, the one that was um uh, absolutely free. It has mm-hmm. some really odd songs on it. That's when like, I think that they really went for it in terms of like, let's just go ahead. Like, yeah, we did some of the pop sounds, but now we're just going to completely shatter all of that and just be crazy and weird and talk about vegetables a lot. Mm. And then when you come back to uh, we're only in it for the money, it's like a mixture of both even more than it was on freak out. Like there's a lot of that doo-wop psychedelic pop stuff, but they're doing it in such a strange way. And it catches me like every time where I'm like, this is just like a really cool concept, the way that they're like approaching this album in a way that like I wouldn't see not just artists then, but even like artists ever approaching, you know, what they were doing with the music. You got an example you want to play? I do have an example that I want to play. So uh, one example that I would like to play is the lyricism off of this one particular song, which is very short. It's what's the ugliest part of your body? Oh, that's a, I like that song. What's 
So those lyrics, of course, are the kind like the way that they're singing them feels very 60s, of course. But mm-hmm. when you listen to them, like if you actually like sit down, pay a little bit more attention to what's actually being said, you're like, well, this is just silly. Like, this is just like the silliest thing ever. Like hearing them talking about it this way. Like, and it's, you know, it, what's fun to do hmm. if you look at the uh, personnel for that album, mm-hmm. uh, Billy Mundy was the drill. So played yak and black lace underwear. Nice. Uh, Don, Don Preston. It just says retired. <laughs> oh, <laughs> bunk Gardner played all woodwinds and mumbled weirdness. Mumbled weirdness. <laughs> I love that. You, uh, Euclid James Motorhead Sherwood played, uh, he was the road manager, baritone saxophone, soprano saxophone, all purpose weirdness, and teen appeal. That's who he was. Teen appeal. <laughs> teen appeal. Okay. We I, do need the teen appeal on this album somewhere. Roy Estrada played the bass, the vocals, and asthma. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I never looked at that. That's so funny. I don't like I'm I, sure every album is like different in that way. Yeah. Jimmy Black or Carl Black played the drums, the trumpet, the vocals, and he was the Indian of the group. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's fun. I think that's just another one of the like even just like the subtle details, it's like he's just I don't like even though he's being eclectic, even though he's being strange, he's doing two very obvious things. One, he's clearly having fun. Yes. Because if you're putting stuff like that in your personal uh, personnel, like you're having a fun time. And two is that he does it with such like ridiculous technicality. Like it's not yeah. like he's doing all of this stuff just to be weird. Like there's very clearly like a thread that keeps it all together throughout. Well, it's pretty. De- everything is very deliberate, you know. Like it, it, uh, he makes choices. All of the choices are choices that he makes intentionally for a reason. And then he does them and he does them like in the way that is pristine to an extent. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's the focus on it. it. It's really interesting. His work is interesting. I, I'll tell you what, something that like reminds me of it, that makes me think about it is I've, I, there was an interview I've watched of Zappa in 83, June of 83 on Letterman. Mm-hmm. And he had just put out an album with uh i think it was i don't know if it's the london symphony or like the london philharmonic it was an orchestra in england in london and he had hired them to perform all of the parts but so he put a disclaimer on the album that basically with the amount of money that they had in the budget and the amount of time that money could buy for rehearsing and recording this is like the best that it's that it could be all of the stuff that's on here could be performed better and could be closer to the way it was intended if I had, if there was like more money and more time because, yeah. <laughs> but with the limitations we have, this is what you get. And it's by no means perfect in what it's supposed to be, but it is what it is. So, you know, Letterman asked him all about it and is like, why do you put that on there? And that's why he's like, look, I've got, he's got a, you know, I've got to be true and honest with my fans and, you know, with the amount of money we had, with the way that this was, this is the best that it could get, but it's not totally what I wanted it to be, right. but it is what it is. So, yeah. Well, that's just like, it's so interesting because again, it goes back to like, I don't know how much money it would take and how much effort it would take for Zappa to say, this is perfect. I don't think that Zappa probably ever thought that anything he did was perfect because I don't think 
Like he was such a perfectionist that I just can't ever. You can't get there. You know. You you yeah, strive it's for more it. About you push for intention. it. But, hmm. I think it's more about reaching the intention of what he set out to to do. Right. right. I mean, you got to do certain things to reach to be able to put forth what you intended to put forth, kind of thing. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Did you? Did either of you have an album in particular of some of the Mothers of Invention stuff that you wanted to talk about and kind of dig into? I've always been a fan of uh, Weasels Rip My Flesh. Yeah, I remember you mentioning that. And One Size Fits All is also good. Those are both albums my father owned that I now have because he's given to me, or at least he's allowed me to take them and forgot that I've taken them. But <laughs> I just, mm. Weasels Rip My Flesh. I mean, when you're a kid and you're going through a stack of records and you see it's, an it's, album with the dude with the cold weasels rip my flesh and you see the cover like that. Like it's going to stand you out. To think? It's yeah. What are you supposed out. to think? So I think it's like, uh, there's a level of nostalgia for me with that album sure. of just seeing it and being like, what, this is like the weirdest thing. And always thinking that was one of the coolest things in there because it was just like, this is goofy and I don't know what to think about it. You know what I mean? Right. And it's like, cause like when you look at it too, you know, there was a little bit more, I guess, like weirdness was coming out more at that point in time, you know, like the yeah, more, and- the more that time passed, the more people were like, we can kind of do what we want. Can't we? Like, that's kind of the fun of like, you know, the, the music industry to a certain degree, but like, even like by 1970, that's still not like, like that looks like a punk album from like the, like the mid nineties, you know, yeah. like it doesn't but look. It's a, hmm? And it's a jazz album really. Yeah. And it's only like 39 minutes long. It's definitely, it's, it's an odd one for sure. Jared, did you it's have weird. one? Not really? Okay. No. Did you, okay. This is, this is the one that like, it will take some time uh, and I won't spend too much time on it, especially if it was just me. Did anybody actually take the time to listen to the full version of Uncle Meat? Uh, I listened to almost all of it. Almost all of it. Did you get to yeah. like the, the CD like version of it where they put all the extra stuff at the end? Yeah. Cause I actually, for once this week, I believe I, uh, I actually listened to that um, playlist, uh-huh. which had all of that in it. So before I realized, I was like, what is happening here? And I think eventually, what ha- if I remember correctly, eventually I gave up and I said, I not, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> it was so long too. Like it wasn't like, uh, so, okay, let me, I'll give uh, context. So Uncle Meat is perhaps one of the oddest albums I've ever heard in my life. And I've heard a lot, a lot, a lot of albums. So Uncle Meat is like a two hour extravaganza of just ridiculous sounds that really covers the gamut of the Mothers of Invention sound. They do really a whole lot of everything. They touch on jazz, they touch on rock, they touch on pop, they touch on just really everything and they get through all of it. And like the the first portion of the album is I think maybe like an hour or so, something in that range is the, the first kind of portion of it. And then the mm-hmm. second portion is all of this dialogue that is based off of a movie Uncle Meat that they had intended to make. And they never followed through and actually made Uncle Meat as a film, but I they had all these like vocal parts and he just kind of pieced them all together in like what would be almost a storyline, but like as an audio version of it, not a visual portion of like an actual movie. It's just so like oddly scattered and sometimes hard to follow. Like there's a part, like there's points where they're like talking about like what makes them attractive and like hamburger meat. And like, it's, it's all like very strange to listen to, especially when it's like 45 minutes long of just like different dialogue from a movie you've never seen before. Um, but yeah. And part of it's like directive direction, like him directing. Yeah. 
So it's like him telling people how to how to say certain things. I don't know. Did you listen to all of it? Yes, I did. Well, he's talking to that woman about how she's supposed to, something's supposed to get her hot. Something like weird. Yeah. I don't, oh my I don't remember what it was. It's so hard to remember every line from that. Cause again, it was like, it was like, it's like watching a full movie, but there's so many like lines that like you're hearing and you're kind of processing, but you're like, what did they just say? I don't like, I don't know that that actually totally processed for me. Yeah. I think I was about 25 minutes into the film excerpt, the first film excerpt. And then I said, I'm not doing this anymore. Then I looked down and I said, I am going to check out some of these King Kong things because these are just weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a lot of King Kong going on there. There is one portion. So believe it or not, there is one portion from this giant like hour and 40 minutes of like what is it, 22 songs. Yeah, like 22 songs. Crazy, crazy, craziness that's going on. I did have one part where I was listening to it. I was like, I know that. And I heard it. It's like I went back. I was like, I got to remember that one. So I'm going to play a little portion of the 51 second snippet from Uncle Meat called Sleeping in a Jar. And your mommy and your daddy are sleeping. It's the middle of the night. And your mommy and your daddy are sleeping. Now, for someone who might not be a fan of uh, Frank Zappa, but somehow a fan of underground hip hop or has listened to our podcast, may know Mm. that our friend MF Doom, rest in peace, MF Doom, has sampled that little 51 snippet uh, on the song Meat Grinder off of Mad Villainy. It's one of my favorite, like, mad villainy samples, and I didn't even know it came from Zappa. Like, I was listening to it, it was like, oh, that's where that came from. Like, because, like, with a lot of those hip-hop albums that samples a lot, it's so hard to know where, like, all of them come from. You know? Like, I was listening to, uh, recently, just as, like, a kind of odd example, I was listening to um, one of the, the underground albums from Prince Paul, and I noticed a sample from, like, an Avalanche's album, and I was like... Like, there's no way to know, like, the thousands of samples that are within, like, an Avalanche's album to begin with. And so, like, it, you'll just land on them probably, like, progressively when you're listening to a lot of music. Because you're like, oh, right. Like, I've heard that somewhere. Probably an album that has played, like, almost everything ever. So, it, it's cool to see, like, somebody like MF Doom kind of, like, crate digging and finding something on such a big, massive, odd Frank Zappa album. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Like... I don't know. It's hard to like it would be I think it would be difficult to find a connection between those two genres. I mean, using a sample, you never know what could happen. Like you said, it could come from anywhere, but right. it's just weird to draw a line like that. I do also think it'd be interesting, like Zappa is not as we mentioned, it's not he's not like a huge artist. 
right. in terms of commercial success. So I always want like, you know, when you see someone like MF Doom who has sampled it, like where did you where did Zappa come from to you? Like when it'd be interesting to see where people found Zappa. You know what I mean? Or yeah. what it was. Because it's not like you hear it on the radio and you're like, whoa, that was crazy and weird and different. And I want to figure out what that is. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like where where what happened? What's the story of where you found that? I think it started uh it like my guess would be the first people that like presented Zappa to people were people like that owned record stores. Yeah. Those are the first. And then like those people, uh, like they gave it to them. And then in the same situation with like you and your dad, your dad got it from a record store, I assume. And then like you found it from him and then it just kind of got passed down. So that's my guess. Uh, I think that one, I don't know, like Rolling Stone, like he was critically acclaimed in like Rolling Stone and Mm -hmm. stuff like, you know, so it's, those kind of uh, publications as well. And also, uh, I feel like he, it's like word of mouth through touring is too. Like, I was just going to say word of mouth is really, I think, what created Frank Zappa just in general. I think that there are so many people in this world who have heard the name Frank Zappa or be able to pick out a single song he's ever made. Yeah. Like they just, like you just know who Frank Zappa is. He's just kind of like this odd character that just kind of exists in the world and he's very important and we all know he's very important, but that doesn't mean that we all spend a lot of time with his music. Mm. Cause yeah, like, I mean, obviously like, you know, if you look at his music again, it's so strange, like that it is hard for the majority of listeners to even find something that they probably like deeply enjoy. You kind of have to be the type of person who just like really enjoys digging for the oddities of the music industry to find something from Zappa and say, that really spoke to me out of its oddness, you know? I also feel like like not very ma- not very many people like jazz, but even less of them like Frank Zappa type jazz. Like, yeah, yeah right. like so, avant-garde, like new jazz. So, like he in the jazz community, he's probably not very like uh, liked very much. No, but then if you say, okay, well, let's separate those people. Most like how many people say I like jazz, right? Other than you know, like Jerry Seinfeld likes jazz. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. Well, it's funny too because like his jazz that he was making, like so, like I think one of his most. Um, like to switch over a little bit to his solo work, which is where I think the jazz comes out a lot more prominently, uh, is the fact that the album Hot Rats is probably one of his most well-regarded albums from his mm-hmm. solo career. And like it comes out in 69. And at that point, jazz was already pretty much faded out. You know, like a year later, you would see Miles Davis do Bitches Brew. And like, you know, outside of that, jazz was already kind of like fading away from like the traditional sound of jazz. It was moving more into this kind of like rock, you know, uh, avant-garde new style of jazz. And so like Zappa kind of came in with that style of jazz at the right point, but also at the point where people really weren't like used to it yet. Like people weren't like, oh yeah, this is totally what jazz sounds like. They're like, this is this jazz? I'm not totally sure if this is jazz. Right. Well, even with Miles Davis, like even with Bitches Brew, as amazing of an album it is, it's not like a Zappa album. You know what I mean? Like, not, yeah, he, not at all. He used jazz instruments and some other instruments to make noises that you often didn't hear in jazz. Yeah. But he didn't just like throw everything into a track like Zappa does. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just like a weird, I mean, it's like expanding jazz to say it can be any type of music made with anything. Right. 
You know, like what I, I, I think I've mentioned this before on a previous episode. I don't remember why, but one time I saw another video of Frank Zappa. He was on the Steve Allen show, which is an old uh, talk show. This was in 63, I think. Mm-hmm. He played a bicycle. He brought a bicycle onto the show and played the bicycle on the show that as an instrument. Right. That sounds about I right. I mean, he was like plucking spokes because, you know, the tension in the spokes means that they're tuned, you know, not on intentionally, but they are tuned to a specific note. And he like blew through the handlebars and used drum drumsticks to like tap on all the different tubes of the of the frame because they're all different notes and keys and stuff. So he like played this bicycle and that's how he made that's like in 1963 and that's pretty much how he made music for the entirety of his career. Right. I think to 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 play off of that as well. I think that his like his like public persona is also such a such a fun thing. Oh, like man. because like again, it's not like he was a huge prominent like, you know, celebrity or anything like that, and it's not like even if he was, he would care that much, but he always just like in public behaved in a way that just showed how little he cared what people thought about him as a public figure. Like uh have either of you ever seen clips of him on SNL? I don't remember. I'm sure I have at some point, but I don't. Nothing like comes to mind of what he did. Tyler, do you have you seen any clips from him on SNL? Not not on SNL. I don't think he he was such a strange SNL host. Like I think he only hosted one time, and for what would have been pretty obvious reasons, if you watch it, because he just like throws out the format completely. Like he'll be like kind of like improv riffing in like this weird manic way in the midst of like a, a, a you know like a. a whatever skit it might be that they're doing. And like, it was almost like he didn't even remember what the, like what the script was in some way. Like you could just see that he was just like so off the wall doing anything that he could be doing. And it was like almost hard to follow. And it's so, it's so outside of what SNL is used to. And I don't think that they were like, I I don't think we could do this again. I don't even know how we would like tame this beast, you know? So, like, I think that he always just kind of wanted, I mean, like, obviously through his music, it's very obvious, but I think he always knew who he wanted to be through his music and as a person, and I don't think he ever really compromised in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, he's just, he always is kind of like that. Back to that Letterman interview I saw, he comes out, when he, when he gets announced, he comes out, the very first thing he says, I get, apparently he had been there the night before. And he had told David Letterman that there was something that he wanted to talk about the next night. So Dave said, what is this thing that you want to talk about? And he said, the thing he wants to talk about is brown lipstick in the corporate suite. That's what he says. Okay. And Dave says, okay, all right, go on. He goes, he said that I don't think anyone looks good with brown lipstick on. So why do all these people in the corporate suite keep wearing it? And where does it come from? (laughs) How long did they spend on it? Oh, it's probably like the first few minutes of the interview where they're just talking about it, you know, <laughs> and it's I think I don't like I haven't looked into a lot. It's like it's just this is an interview that I've always just really returned to because it just shows him being interesting. But yeah, I believe it has something to do with kissing ass. Ah, ah. And, but it's like, a, a you know, it's a zap way to put it. Yeah. So it's just funny that is and so funny. he's bringing it up here and talking about like i don't understand what's happening <laughs> right so i just i think that that also speaks to just how good letterman is that he would be able to keep that conversation going for even any amount of time because i feel like most people in that position be like I-, I got nothing for you i'm sorry i don't know how to talk about this 
Jared, I'll, I'll ask you because we haven't done this yet. It's been a while since we've done it at all. Been a while. Do you have a uh, particular song from the Zappa catalog that really stood out to you? Um, I think the one that uh, one that I will uh, bring up is a song called uh, Poofters Froth Wyoming Plans Ahead from Bongo Fury. Okay. I like that song. It was weird. And uh, it's like a kind of a country tank. Uh, it's political and it had a little bit of country in it. And yeah, uh, uh, kind of odd. So that's one that I listened to. So I listened to what we listened to. And it's been uh, like, I don't know what, a, a, a month since we listened to this music. Right. And I tried to refresh today and I did. And this song played. I'm like, okay, this, this was one I remember. Yeah. Uh, it another, also brings up a whole other conversation too that's worth talking about. Yeah. Another was like from, uh, as I mentioned, the Don't Eat the Yellow Snow. I liked uh, that album, the uh, Apostrophe mm-hmm. album. I, I thought that was pretty good. We have a sort of a cowboy song we'd like to do for you. This is a song that deals everybody is going to try and sell you things that maybe you shouldn't ought to buy. And not only that, they've been planning it for years. The name of this song is, pardon me. Poofters Froth, Wyoming, plans ahead. Poofters Froth, Wyoming, about to live in 67. Take a letter, miss a better, as our pigeons will be homing to our jobbers in Dakota and to Merwin. That is a a collaborative album that Zappa did with Captain Beefheart, Mm -hmm. which is another uh, weird artist that everybody says is great. He's like even a step below Zappa, though. Like, I think, you know, Zappa obviously had at least some public figure, but I think uh, Captain Beefheart is really just like specific to people who are in the music, you know, know how. It depends. I've heard some people. Have you? I know. Go ahead. The people I've heard about Beefheart is, well, they got two. Uh, Mark Marin. That was what I was going to say. He's the first person I heard about Beefheart from. That's what I heard Beefheart too. And then I heard it on the podcast. And then he also, I believe he also references references Beefheart in his show on IFC because I think he buys an album. That is correct. That's what I remember is when he bought the Beefheart album. He was, I think either he like landed on it by accident or he like was seeking out uh, his big album Trout Mask Replica. So I think I thought it was that what it was or was it safe as milk? Because I thought he claimed that it was a safe bet. I think someone made fun of him. I think he brought safe as milk up to the counter to buy it. And the person at the record store is like, oh, yeah, that's a safe bet <laughs> or uh, something like that. May, maybe. I can't remember for sure then. That might have been it. It's been a while since oh, I've well. seen it. So the other the other cultural reference for it is it's referenced in High Fidelity Oh, because it's the yeah. album that that record nerd wants really badly. It's a French import and Jack Black refuses to sell it to him. And it's in the scene where they re- are uh, are claimed to be music snobs, such as ourselves in a way. Right, who uh, will not allow uh, anyone else's opinion to be validated, really? Yeah. So, uh, it's funny too because he and Beefheart had like such a long storied relationship. They were obviously like, you know, when you've got Beefheart and Zappa in the same world at the same time, if they weren't friends, I'd be like, why have you guys not met yet? Like, 
but go go ahead, Jerry. We didn't want to. I didn't want to trounce on your your conversation about Bongo Fury. Oh, I I mean it was just that it was a collaborative with uh with uh Beefheart. I didn't really have a ton yeah. more than that. Okay, I just wanted to make sure that you didn't have anything else you want to say about it. Just <laughs> a little anecdotal bits. I was at uh, VGR. This must have been. It was right as it was getting cold. Maybe it was November, and uh, I he was. I was just digging through some stuff and Travis was going through and getting and like naming some things. He's like, what about this one right here? Check it out. Zappa and Beefheart. And I was like, I'll take it. Thank you. And it happened to be this album. So nice. When, when this week came up, I was like, I got this one, you know? Yeah. So that was kind of funny. I couldn't pass up a Beefheart Zappa album. So no. I didn't know about it. That's when I found out about this album. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool thing. He, uh, speaking of VGR and art, <laughs> I, when we were doing the Patreon thing through VGR, I actually asked him if he could, like, cause he, I looked at his list of albums he had available and he had Beefheart, uh, Trout Mask Replica. And I was like, Hey, if nobody else has asked for that, please. And he said, actually, somebody like just snagged it, but I'll let you know when I can find it. And Travis actually like went out of his way to find Trout Mask Replica for me. I was like, all right. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Travis. You've really done you me go. a service today. I'm waiting on that one as well. I've got safe as milk. The uh, the two artists that I kind of, with listening to Zappa, that came to mind for me, which are completely different, like, ends of the spectrum. Uh, one is, like, I kind of reminded me of Tom Waits a little. Uh-huh. Like, the vocal and uh, just kind of the oddness. And the other is some of the, like, way that Zappa uh, performed uh, some of the vocal inflections and harmonies and stuff reminded me of like Weird Al. And I, I yeah. like, I know that, that Zappa had to influence Weird Al in Absolutely. like various ways. Absolutely. And so it's just like interesting listening to the way that he, that Zappa would like sing a, a part. And I'm like, that kind of sounds like Weird Al a little bit, but it's like, I'm not surprised by it because, you know, it seems like they would probably have gotten along relatively well together. Uh, by the time that Zappa was at, like towards the end of his life, I feel like he was less likely to want to be friends with Weird Al. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like just he was probably, uh, you know, it would be like begrudgingly like, you know, he had he died of, uh, I believe, cancer. And he was yeah. sick and he just kept working. Like he just yeah. kept making albums and stuff. So I don't think he really wanted to screw around because he knew that like he didn't have a lot of time left. So he wanted to make as much art as possible before. Right. And then like, you know, when Weird Al was coming up, you know, it took him quite a while before he really kind of gained any kind of traction and like legitimacy within the music industry. So I don't know if, if there's some kind of uh, evidence of them being friends, I'd like to find it. But yeah. Um, yeah, those were the two main d- artists that I kind of heard with a little bit. I mean, like, because I don't think of the mute, you know, like the guitar playing. Because I mean, he was a good guitarist as well. Yeah, but I don't. Yeah. I'm not like regarded as one of the best, really. I don't yeah. think like, oh, that sounds like Santana. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. I, I don't know guitar well enough to say this this guitar artist sounds like he was influenced by this other person right or whatever so tyler do you have anybody that comes to mind for you that you know you can really hear zappa in um man that's a tough one that's one i hadn't really thought much about even though you mentioned it i didn't have a lot of time to think right i I don't uh, know oh go ahead sorry i know that i've got one i showed jared this yesterday because i was i had been thinking about it uh, initially and it really like spoke to me in a kind of a funny way to see like how someone else 
would even kind of follow in the same footsteps to a certain degree. But one uh, particular group who's modern that comes to mind for me is King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Mm-hmm. Um, because of like not only just like the prolific nature of it, where like Zappa in like the early part of his career just released like a metric ton of music, and then like you know King Gizzard kind of did the same thing. But I think in two things is one is that they have similar ethoses in terms of like doing things different as often as possible. You know, don't make the same album twice. Try and change things and adapt and, you know, experiment and do whatever you want to do. But then also there was one part, this is where it really kind of sunk in for me is kind of how, um, how similar they maybe thought, or at least how they were clearly influenced was off of that same album I played earlier. We're only in it for the money on the song. Absolutely free. So I'm going to play a little portion of that particular song. Flower power sucks. Diamonds on velvets on gold. Dark, 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 dark. On Ahmed, on Cupid, on Donner and Blitzen. On up and away and afar and a go-go. Escape from the way of your corporate logo. So I don't know, uh, Tyler, how much you've dug into the King Gizzard and Lizard Wizard lore, or not lore, but just like their their uh, extensive amount of albums. But mm, that quite a few of them. But that particular, like that portion right there, it just sounds like it came off of Murder of the Universe. Do you remember that album, Tyler? Uh, I haven't listened to that one as much. Okay, I'm gonna play uh, part of the song "Altered Beast One" off of Murder the Universe, and tell me if you can hear kind of similarities in the way that they like perform this. Like it just feels like almost like a like the same kind of vocal inflection in my head to some degree. Yeah, there's definitely similarities in there. I mean, it's I just feel like there's so many places you could locate little pieces of Zappa right all over. Mm-hmm. You know, cuz it's like there's so many things to take from his music, whether it be a certain level of of satire or delivery or if it's part of the composition i mean there's all sorts of different like places that you can take from or or find inspiration or whatever right so so i know that if i'm sure that you also have something to say about tyler but i know that jared probably has some like some dialogue to add to this but like i also found his like i guess his point of view about the world and some of like the issues in the world like like social type things like the way that he saw things was also kind of interesting to me as well did either of you kind of have things that like stood out to you about like just like because i know that like some things are like he was very very big on like anti-censorship he was also big against drugs he was okay with like he wanted to be a case that was legalized for like you know certain like but he thought like he would never want to partake in them kind of thing like and when you listen to zappa i think you would almost immediately assume 
that drugs were involved in mm-hmm. that type of music. Yes. Like we have that kind of um, stereotype about these kind of odd types of music is that they probably came from like a drug brain. Um, but I, I thought that like he was because he was very outspoken along with everything else. So the censorship thing for me is interesting. Uh, it's funny because he had a jazz album that had no lyrics and they put a, a parental advisory sticker on it because I guess one of the titles said something that they thought was, you know, but it's like, what a dumb thing. That's so dumb. Right. But it just like proves his point that the whole thing is nonsense anyways. But yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. His, his, uh, I don't know what you say. Um, his speech, I suppose, whatever. I can't remember the word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, in front of the committee. Testimony? The, yes, his testimony. There we go. Thank you, Jared. Let me get to it. His testimony in front of the, the P, PMRC is like one of the greatest like testaments to music as art in in politics that there is. And it's really like you can watch it on YouTube. Anyone can watch it on YouTube. And I recommend you go look at it because it's just like he it's when you listen to him speak, it's like apparent that he's one of the smartest people in the room. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. I mean, the main, he was very smart. And he and it's funny because, you know, we've talked about this before, how D. Snyder also testified in front of that committee as well. And he shows up in office. You know, he sounded smarter than people thought he was as well. Sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? But he still showed up as D. Snyder. Frank Zappa showed up as himself, but nobody knew who he was. Mm-hmm. So when he shows up like dressed appropriately and just makes you look like a fool, you don't even know what to think. Cause all these people here just thought he was some rock guy coming in to talk about whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he's got all of this stuff lined up and just unloads it. So that's something I've always enjoyed watching is him talk about stuff like that. And just like, he's just interesting to him be interviewed about anything mm-hmm. can be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I like how you brought up the D Snyder thing. Cause that's the other thing is that testimony that he had. Because it's funny because he goes in, D. Snyder goes in with like, you know, full leather, long hair, and then he just like is sounds in, incredibly intelligent in front of these people that like did not expect him to do that. Yeah. I'm sure Zappa was the same way, but like those are the two that I guess come to mind for um, testimony about um, – uh, not free speech, but you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, censorship. Yeah, yeah anti censorship and in, in music. Yeah. Well, it's really it was an art. He was. I mean, I've read and seen things as well that say that you know he was a musician. He was a guitar player. Was very good, but he was an advocate for art, is like in its entirety. Anyway, you know what I mean, right? And and that's a that's just like what he said there, and and his willingness to go in and fight against that, which eventually kind of worked, kind of worked, kind of didn't work. It's kind of like hazy as to whether any of that you know because it the labels did come out kind of to an extent and this or that or whatever um but it's just a testament to his uh you know his standing behind art as expression and like as an important part of society yeah speaking to him being like really well educated too like you can just tell he's very smart uh i thought one thing that kind of stood out to me too is like his relationship with his children Mm-hmm. And like, cause I know that like they were also like, he very much encouraged them to be uh, art friendly 
he pulled them out of high school when they were like in like you know when they're like 15 or something like that you know like he wasn't he wasn't the type of person who thought i guess that like you know um standardized education was like the most necessary way to attain intelligence you know like that wasn't that wasn't the way he re- viewed the world where he's like yeah you got to go to college if you're gonna if you're gonna be a cool artist you know like he was like right you know you can you can gain perspective on the world you can learn you can you know produce things like this without necessarily having to sit you know in a classroom for your entire life uh, but speaking of the children, I brought this up for a reason, is because one of his most interesting songs to me is the song Valley Girl. Do you guys remember Valley Girl? Yeah. Yeah. That's, with Moon. Yes, with Moon Zappa. So I'm going to play a little bit of uh, some of the stuff from Valley Girl. I feel like if any song from him could have like broken into the mainstream, that might have been the one. Could have done it. It's just very annoying at the same time. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? It's so intentional too, but yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it's intentionally. I mean, it's uh, it serves its purpose. It gets me. I'm just like, yeah. I hate this. I hate you, Moon, <laughs> even though it's not really you. Right. It's just the you that you're pretending to be for the song. It's so fun though to me. Like I listened to, it and I was like, "Oh my gosh, that is just like such a fun track to listen to." And like, like the way that just like her her vocals throughout that is just like it just really makes the song more fun. Oh yeah. Speaking of fun, uh, Zappa having fun with his music. My favorite song is off of Absolutely Free because it's just one of the strangest things I found while listening to his music, uh, and it's Colony Vegetable. Yeah. some people don't go for prunes i don't know i've always found that if they i just love that entire song because there's just no there's really no structure to that's what's beautiful about it did you know that uh his daughter uh moon moon unit zappa is as she's called she was married to the drummer uh of matchbox 20 i didn't remember that no (laughs) I they might got, have known that at one point in my they life. They got married in June of 2002 and divorced in 2014, but... Not what you'd expect, probably, but no. you know, I guess there's, like, not really anything you would expect, I suppose, you know, like... Mm. Do you know anything, uh, Tyler, I, I'll, I'll ask you, Caleb mm-hmm. might know, uh, Have you? or do you know who Flo and Eddie are? Flo and Eddie? Yeah, so they were in the group the turtles the 60s rock group uh Mm -hmm. they sang the song happy together and a cover of the song it ain't me babe and when their group broke up in 1970 they joined the mothers of invention and toured with frank zappa two 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 members of the turtles (laughs) look at that (laughs) so 
Why not? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it it makes sense to be rotational to an extent. You know what I mean? Yeah. You always got to change something up. They're just not the, like the people that you would kind of think like that would be in the Mothers of Invention. You know what I mean? No. Like, right. Two people that are in a uh, uh, rock and roll group from the 60s that just had like pop hits you know i don't know it's interesting but i i saw they were credited uh in the personnel of a couple of the albums and i was like those names sound familiar so i looked like into it and i'm like that is so weird weird i'm looking right now and some of that weird weird stuff i think they still tour like but when touring was a thing uh they would do uh at the like the state fair that have free concerts and then have all these old people uh, mm-hmm. come and, and perform that were like the remaining members of these sixties groups and uh, Flo and Eddie uh, as the turtles or whatever they were called. I thought you meant mothers of invention. No, I no, was like, no, no. I can't imagine being no. at a state fair and like no. mothers of invention no. are there. Like, I no. don't know if this, is, if this fits. No. And then like uh, just like random members of other, like what, like, you know, uh, groups. I don't know. I've always wanted to go, but I've never gone. I think it'd be fun to just hear like, here's our two hits. All right. Next band. Here's our three hits. Okay. Next band. 70 years old. Was it, was it you who said that they should do a one hit wonder? Um, yeah. Festival I where that. they, where they just play their one hit and they get off stage. Yeah. That's my idea. Don't steal it. Anybody. Hey, TM. We uh, should probably, we can need to quit saying all these good ideas out here live where everyone can hear us. Well, if we don't tell them good ideas, they're not going to think we're smart. That's true. I guess so. Tyler, Even there's only oh, like a million members of the Mothers of Invention, and it's just all over the place. Right. Tyler, before we get close to the end, why don't you go ahead and tell me what you think was your song that you... Like, I don't know. There's just some... I don't think I, I can choose so, a favorite. I know there's so some, many. And they're just so different. I kind of like a song that I thought liked uh, was uh, Pajama People. Which is on one size fits all. I could see why like that would stand out to you because of like we haven't really heard a whole lot of like his guitar work, you know, and I know mm-hmm. that obviously he's pretty important for his guitar work too. Yeah, it's that showcases a little bit more of it and, and like I feel like in some ways he kind of is like a Hendrix in terms of using guitar as an instrument to see what kind of noises, you know, that's just his style for anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. What kind of sounds can we get out of something? But, you know, Hendrix gets all the glory for something like that. And someone like Zappa gets, gets it amongst people who know, but you know what I mean? Yeah. You don't hear a lot of kids saying, Oh yeah. Who was your guitar idol when you were you know, learning guitar? And they say, Oh yes, Frank Zappa. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. But that's pretty cool. I've also really like, uh, I've always liked peaches and regalia. That's a pretty good one. That's the opener to hot rats. Yeah which is a pretty cool song. Hot Rats is a, is a sweet album. That's an album that I've always found like, pretty interesting as well. Yeah. And uh, that actually was recently 
you know, with COVID, it's hard for me to remember when it was. So I can't remember if it was 2019 or the beginning of 2020. Who knows anymore? But that album got reissued on pink vinyl to match the uh, the photo negative, or uh, you know, the I think it's a UV photo negative color on the cover of that album. So that was kind of cool. But that's cool. That's just a cool one. That's a cool. I don't know, dude. That's a cool album too. They're all they're all just really. It's hard to choose anything from. Like, there's just so much stuff, right? That covers all sorts of different things. Like, I like anything from Freakout as well. You know, Freakout was pretty interesting in it because of the, you know, the especially earlier in the beginning, the ability to listen to it uh, a little with, with by paying a little bit less attention. Yeah, you know, so sometimes it's a nice like break inside of a Zappa discography. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So I don't know. There's just some. There's just a lot of stuff. It's all really good. I'm glad that you chose earlier though. Um, uh, what song did you choose from? We're only in it for the money. Uh, absolutely free or um, the the really short one. Um, what's the ugliest part of your body? Oh yeah, what's the ugliest part of your body? I did love that one. Stood out definitely to me. Yeah, as well. And I thought I can't remember if it's throughout that album. I believe he reference. He continues to reference that question. I believe so too. Yes, throughout I the course, either whether it's for the course of the album or the course of his career, I can't remember. I know I can't either because again, like it's but, like it's it's always these repeating ideas that he comes mm-hmm. back to. So, but yeah, I don't know. Like the it, it just looking at him kind of broadly, it's so odd to think like. We listened to as much as we did in as much time as we could. And I still know I didn't probably find the best Zappa song, you know, like because I would have had to dig forever because there's so much. And like, you know, again, like you said, it's all so different. It's all so crazy. And, you know, it's hard for me to say that I found anything I inherently disliked because it really if something didn't stand out to me that I felt like it was kind of okay because like there's so much. You know, and so if it's like, well, I didn't love, you know, this one particular album, like maybe um, Chunga's Revenge didn't catch my eye as much as something else. Like, I don't necessarily have to go back to Chunga's Revenge because I have so much other stuff to go back to, you know, like, and I don't think it makes it inherently bad. It just might not be like my favorite aspect of what he did, you know? Yeah, you, it's just hard to find. Another thing, too, is. It's hard to be comparative because sometimes, I mean, when you're in the midst of one uh, Zappa album, it's easy to forget what it was like in the midst of the last Zappa album you listened to. You know what I mean? So, like, they all just have their own world and you have to be in it at that moment. And if you don't remember what it was like before, I guess you're going to have to go back and figure it out again, right? Right. There's also so many, like, little things to pick out from each one as well. You know, like, multiple listens would just yield more and more things that you find. So, it's all pretty interesting. I guess I'll give my little anecdotal story and I don't, maybe you can confirm or deny it because I didn't look it up because I was told my father loves to tell me if I remember correctly about the, the naming or maybe I read it somewhere. I feel like he's told me maybe it's the naming of the mothers of invention, which is because Zappa wanted a band called Frank Zappa and the mothers. Yes. But no one would allow him to put that in print on, you know, anywhere. So they settled for the mothers of invention and then would just shorten it to the mothers anyway. Yeah. Wasn't there like, there's some like, I'm trying to remember. It, there's like almost like some kind of weird reason that like the term mothers is like a slur of some kind. Yeah. Well, it's like a shortened, was you it, know, was it the shortened version of motherfucker that they were I afraid think of? So I think that's what it refers to. 
but it's also it was in the 60s so it's just a time where it's like weird to say you know you can't say looks like they were called uh they changed their name from soul giants to the mothers on mother's day in 1965 and then they had to change their name to the mothers of invention because record executives demanded that they change the name it is because of the motherfucker thing oh. because of course it's profane and you know but i wouldn't like you yeah, it's, I don't think it's odd that. because like i wouldn't think of a group called the mothers and say oh you know like it wouldn't be like my first thought that that's what they were referencing i would just be like no that's just a word <laughs> it's just a word guys yeah it's like not being it able to name your band jack because you know it could go a different could, could, you can keep right. going and you could say jackass, maybe. I don't know. Ooh, I don't know. You're only one word away. You're so close. You're so close. So I know that we could spend like forever on Zappa, but is there any like broad final thoughts that we might have about Zappa that we want to make sure that we cover before we wrap up? Jared, you're good. Yeah, I think I covered everything I wanted to cover. Tyler, did you have any kind of last things you wanted to say? I mean, what can you say? I don't, we like, there's so much more to cover. I know. And to even talk about and to, and to listen to and figure it out. So, right. I don't know. I just urge people to get out there and listen to something. I mean, you're probably gonna have to listen to a handful of things and figure out what you like or what portion of it you prefer. Yeah. Like, you know, he's Zappa's kind of an artist where you may like some portions of his career more than others and you may stick to certain elements of it. But, you know, it's just like weirdo out there stuff that, is worthwhile it's worth listening to for the sake of like getting out of what you think music is and what you think expression is you know it's challenging in terms of what music is and in terms of like what sounds are and what a collection of sounds are and what a song is and like that challenge is worthwhile because it, it helps you grow as a music enthusiast and listener it helps you grow your ear and it's it at some point and to me and to you and I don't and maybe to Jared as well, it becomes uh, indulgent and you enjoy it. You know what I mean? Maybe people aren't like that in the beginning, but eventually once you're, you know, once you start being challenged, you want more of it and you want more of it and you want more of it. Yeah. You know, and it changes your view on music and and on what it is. So like Zappa and artists of that nature are important because of that. And I think that people should at least listen to some of it at some point in their lives for yeah. the sake of understanding. And even just understanding like music came from here, you know, like without Zappa, a lot of things would have never existed. That would have never existed. That would have never existed, you know? Right. And, and you know, you can do that with so many other things, but like Zappa is such a good benchmark for that in terms of if there wasn't a Zappa who influenced so many different people in a way that other people wouldn't have ever thought to, you know, like, there's so many different aspects of what Zappa did that somebody found something that touched them to do something different. And, you know, maybe they would have got there without Zappa, but I guess it's hard to imagine a lot of different things would have all came out without him kind of pushing the envelope the way he did. So. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of record round table. We appreciate you sticking around with us. Hopefully you learned something about Zappa. We're going to be back on this show in two weeks with Johnny Cash. But if you don't want to wait two weeks, hop over to our sister podcast, Good Band, Bad Band, where we're going to be talking about some 41 Direction here in about a week. 
Thank you for listening. Check out all of our uh, social media bits. You can find them on our website, recordroundtable.com. Have a good day. Goodbye.